We've been talking about bold faith for the last several weeks of the, of the closing year. And as we walk into this new one, I want to refresh that in our hearts and minds today. And I want to take it and encapsulate it in a story. And so what is bold faith? We as a church went through and studied together being bold in our faith. Boldness meaning courage and confidence to take steps forward because we know who God is. So it's not in our own flesh and not in our own will and our own might and our own power, but it's taking steps that God would have us to take, that He's leading us to take, and doing it uh, with confidence, with courage. We don't always see what's coming around the curve, but you know, God shows you what to do. You just take the next step and keep proceeding forward. And we wanted to grow in this area of, of bold faith and be bold in our prayer life and the way that we go to the Lord and make requests of the Lord and in our interaction with God, but specific in our, in our request that we, we're trusting God for things that are God-sized miracles, not just man-sized things that we can count in our own hands. That's easy. We can always just take inventory of what we can see in our own hands and work with that, but to trust God for things you can't see, now that's, that's bold faith. And that's what we want to be about individually, but as a church, of course, but also being bold in our, in our manner of our serving God. We talked about this already, about getting engaged in serving in community, in the local church, and it's going to involve everyone taking a step maybe in a way that you haven't before by being bold and sharing your faith and engaging in the actual ministry of God. And whether that's locally, globally, whatever God has for you, but there's a step that God is leading you to take, and I want to encourage you in that and, and do that again today. And we also talked about being bold in our giving giving of time, resources, all the things that God has given to us to use them for the furtherance of the gospel and that we would love God extravagantly with the gifts that He gives, recognizing that all things are of the Lord and belong to Him and we're just called in to be stewards of God's stuff. So the question always remains for us is how much of God's stuff will we retain for ourselves compared to what will we utilize for God's ministry and God's mission? So that's what I want to Go back to that today, but share that today with you in a story from John chapter 12. Now, if you're in here ages 6th grade and down, I'm going to challenge you today to listen very carefully, and you might even take a note or two. I'm going to talk today about four distinct people. And at the end of the service, if you're ages 6th grade all the way down, if you will write those names of who I'm talking about today and some character that I'm speaking about regarding them, I have something for you. I'm going to send you home with something today. So at the end, you need to come up here, find me, and tell me who are the four people that I talked about today, and then I've got something for you to take home and, and maybe work on at home. And so let me set the text for John 12 of where are we. In John chapter 12 is a story regarding Martha, Mary, Lazarus. And Jesus is going into their house. This is the last week before Jesus is going to go to the cross. So this is Passion Week. It's kind of the kickoff to Passion Week, and he's in their home. And in, as this is such an incredible story because the last time Jesus was with them, Lazarus had died. Now, remember that story is pretty amazing because Jesus was away from Bethany, which is the town these three people live. These are his friends. And he was away from there, and Lazarus had fallen sick, very sick, to the point of death, in fact. And they had sent word for Jesus that Jesus would come, knowing that Jesus is the healer, he's the physician, we're good friends, and surely Jesus would touch him and raise him back up and he'll be okay. Well, Jesus delayed. Matter of fact, he delayed on purpose. Because Passion Week is coming, the resurrection needs to be something clearly seen and understood that Jesus has the power to raise from the dead. 
So Jesus delayed. He did not go and take care of Lazarus immediately. Instead, Lazarus, being sick, he died. When Jesus arrived on the scene, his close friends, Mary and Martha, both addressed him in similar way. They said to him, Lord, if only you had been here, our brother wouldn't have died. Knowing his power to heal and his power to um, touch his body, but in their statement was true. But it's kind of that if only. Why weren't you here? It seemed as if Jesus didn't care, but we know Jesus cared. But he let them understand something, that something bigger is going to happen here that you need to understand more than me just making him well. And that is that they're going to get to see the resurrection. They're going to see God literally raise someone from the dead. And Jesus has now delayed. It's four days later. So after four days, they had already buried Lazarus. They had wrapped him in his grave clothes. They'd sealed the tomb. Done. And now Jesus makes the command to open that thing up and let him come out. And of course, remember the phrase, that, but Lord, he stinks because he's been dead four days. But man, when Jesus said, come out of that grave, he came out of that grave and he walked out of that thing and they loosed him of his grave clothes. And now he was whole. And he had experienced a resurrection But all of them have now seen the glory of God and the power of the resurrection because in just one more week, it'll be Jesus who will go to the cross and resurrect from the grave. So this moment in Lazarus' life was critical. So now you arrive into John chapter 12, just a few days later. And then six days, John chapter 12, verse 1, six days before the Passover, so we're talking Passion Week, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. There they made him a supper and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair and the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. Now, I told you we're going to talk about four individual people here. The first one I want us to talk about today and focusing and refocusing our attention on our bold faith is looking at Lazarus. Lazarus is a guy who is now sitting at the table. Miracle that he's even there at all. A miracle of God. Experienced resurrection power. Now, we can liken our Christian life to all the people I'm talking about today. So if you just step back from it, we can all be a Lazarus. We can all be a Mary. We can all be a Martha. No problem. And we're going to accumulate those things in in terms of our bold faith journey of life. Lazarus is somebody who is sitting at the table with Jesus in fellowship with Jesus. He's literally sitting there listening to his words, or as we just sang in Aubrey Lettuce in the song, Abide With Me, to abide with Christ. To just sit and listen. We're reminded of this John in John chapter 15. Jesus told the disciples this before he got to the cross. He told them, if you abide with me and my words abide in you, you'll ask what you desire and it will be done for you. This impacts our abiding in the word of God has a direct impact on our prayer life. When we abide in God's words, what happens? I now will pray the will of God because I'll see things distinct in Scripture and say, God, based on the truth of your word, I'm asking you to whatever. And, I, and we see God move and God moves on the faith of people who believe his truth and ask according to his will in Christ Jesus. And I can see his will distinctly in Scripture. And so it's very important to abide in this truth. And so here is Lazarus in fellowship with Jesus 
with his private, I think of this in terms of our private devotion. This isn't just your public devotion. This is in your private time alone, of your time in your, in your reading of your Bible. That's why today we uh, launch off again with another read through the Bible. They're on the back table. Grab a Bible reading schedule. Read through the Bible in a year. It's very humbling to realize, guys, that you can read through your entire Bible in 73 hours. We've done it many times. I've done it collectively as a church. I've done it myself multiple times. 73 hours. Breaking that down into 365 days, it turns into about a 15-minute run per day. 15 minutes to devote yourself to the reading of the Word to see God's truth carried out through the whole years. I encourage you today in your private devotion, and maybe you study other things, wonderful. But I'm going to tell you, it's super helpful to read through the Bible year after year to keep your context of what God's doing and God's movement through history and God will keep reminding you of things that you need to see year after year. Commit yourself today to fellowship with the Lord at His table, sitting alone with God in His Word and in prayer. It's critical. This is Lazarus. Lazarus is in, in fellowship with the Lord, and when, another way that we fellowship with Jesus is in confession. It's part of our prayer life. But we see this in 1 John chapter 1 where it says in verse 7 that if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, if we have sin in our life, then what do we do? We confess our sin. He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So here's what happens. When I have, have sin in my life, I, my fellowship with God is messed up. Because of sin. My relationship, he's my father, I'm his son. That relationship does not change, but my fellowship is not the same. I want to restore fellowship. So when I come to the Lord in prayer, it's a confession that, Lord, I, I'm out of bounds in this area. My thoughts, my actions, my attitude, something's not right. And I confess that before the Lord distinctly. Lord, I messed that up. And he is faithful and just to forgive me of my sin and then cleanse me of all unrighteousness. But there's a beauty in this as well, because not only is my fellowship with the Lord restored, but my fellowship with other believers is restored. Don't ever get foolish enough to think that your sin does not impact someone else. It does. And so fellowship with others gets messed up because of sin. But God, through His restoration, is so powerful. When we confess our sin, He cleanses us of unrighteousness, but fellowship is also restored with Christ and with other believers as well. There's another aspect of our fellowship being fellowship in community. We see the fellowship in the early church in Acts 2 when people would gather together steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and prayer. Critical to fellowship is being together in community. It's really critical. To be in the middle of a community group, which we obviously meet as once a month in community groups, those are times we intentionally come together to pray in a group. We have Bible study groups to learn the Word together. These are critical to our spiritual growth and development. So in the last year, if you did not engage in a community group or in a Bible study group or a place where you're learning and growing together with others, I encourage you this year to be a Lazarus and make this a part of your Christian development. Focus here. Bold faith. Take a step here to join together in community with some of these type of opportunities. Fellowship is also fellowshipping with Christ even in crisis. 
with suffering. Paul said this about his own life. He said, I just want to know Jesus. And I want to know Him and the power of His resurrection. Like Lazarus knows the power of the resurrection. He who is dead is now alive sitting at the table. And he said, I want to know the power of that resurrection. And how are you going to discover that? Through the fellowship of sufferings. None of us are going to probably today say, Lord, sign me up for suffering class for this year. I want to suffer worse this year than I've ever suffered in my life. None of us are probably going to say that. But I can assure you this. Suffering happens. We all understand it. We've all been through some aspects of suffering. And suffering comes as a fellowship with the Lord because our Lord suffered. He suffered for us. Not only in His humanity of being abused by people for the whole time He was on the earth, but especially in the last whenever He gave Himself an offering for sin and was abused by mankind to the point of death, our Lord understands our suffering. He fellowships with us in suffering. We fellowship with Him. And so instead of always wanting to run from it, man, asking the Lord, Lord, I want to fellowship with you in it. And this fellowship of sufferings comes when we are living for Christ and purposing that we want to glorify God with our life. And that's going to get tested. If you make that commitment every day, Lord, I want to glorify you with my life, this will get tested in an aspect of suffering and sorrow and hardships of will we be faithful with the Lord even in the times of difficulty, of knowing that God is walking with us in fellowship with us in crisis. There's a fellowship that Lazarus also got to experience, and that was in communicating the gospel. In this same text of John 12, where we see him seated at the table, you also get to see the impact of his ministry. And here it is, John chapter 12, verse 10, says, "...the chief priest plotted to put Lazarus to death also." Why? Because on account of him, many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. Because of Lazarus' death and resurrection, many now have come to believe on Jesus. And this is the power of the Christian life. We who were dead in trespasses and sin are now made alive by the Lord Jesus Christ. By the witness and power of our Christ's life, others come to know Jesus Christ, not only through the witness of our, of our manner of character, but also through the word of the gospel, that we point people to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why bold, in like here, being bold in our prayer life, it's bold in our fellowship with the Lord, it's being bold in our proclamation of the gospel. That people would know Jesus. And we want to be faithful and bold, not only in our local community, but wherever God would direct our steps in this next year. And some things we've already gotten planned for and trusting God for of how far the gospel might stretch through one community church this next year. But this is key. Because of this resurrection that he's experienced, many came to believe. Now, I want you to consider something. The Lord allowed Lazarus to get sick and suffer. He allowed Mary and Martha to experience suffering and loss. And they sorrowed, and they sorrowed much. But if you watch the redemptive story in this of how God then raised him from the dead, and then God used it to expand the gospel witness... Lazarus was a guy to, in order to multiply ministry, had to go through the gateway of the tomb. I don't know what that will look like in your life for this next year, 
but there may be a tomb, so to speak, that you will go through that will open a gateway to the gospel, the furtherance of the gospel, way past what you would have ever imagined. I've had this in my own life in a variety of ways. I've gone through the death of a vision where God had placed things in your heart, a vision for something that you uh, were trusting Him for, and that did not come to pass that way. And I had to go through the whole death of that and like, man, what in the world? Have I totally miscued on God? And where, where am I at here? And you go through this death of a vision to watch God redeem it and re re uh, resurrect a new vision and a new purpose, and you see it clear. Some of you have gone through the death of relationships and now watching God resurrect and redeem and open new opportunities. Some of you have gone through the death of uh, goals and dreams and hopes, employment, and crisis has come. But let me just tell you, in Lazarus' life, in fellowship with the Lord, because you're still sitting here. So I can tell you this, sometimes the gateway to the expanded ministry that God has for you to where He gets the most glory is through the tomb. And I don't know what that looks like for you, but I'm trusting that God will fellowship with us and we fellowship with Him as we go through that and then watch God do the miraculous things that only He can do to multiply the ministry. The second person, we've talked about Lazarus, in fellowship with God. The second one is Martha. Martha the servant, focusing on serving others. Martha was someone who once again has opened up her home. She is gifted and given to hospitality. She loves to have people in her house. The evidence of that is in Scripture from the book of Luke, chapter 10. Jesus had come to town, and then on this particular occasion, He came into Mary and Martha's home. Now I want you to hear this story quickly. So now it came, had happened, Luke 10, 38. It happened as they went that he entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And as she and her sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me here to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha. You are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. So here's what you notice about Martha. She's a servant. She opens up her home. She loves to have people in her home, but she's a busy beaver. She goes and goes and goes. Now what we observed of her in Luke chapter 10 is she got frustrated because Jesus is in her house and her sister sits down and just wants to hear what Jesus has to say. And Martha is very consumed with making sure he's got something to eat, something to drink, and everything's all cool and the house is just right and it's all good. That's what hospitality is often like that. And Jesus then corrects her. But I want you to notice something in Luke 10 that when I just read. She was quick to correct Jesus and actually telling Jesus what to do. Jesus. You need to tell my sister she needs to help. She needs to serve. She needs to work just like me. But Jesus said, no, Martha, Martha, Martha. Mary's chose the better part, and that's to just sit here and, um, and hear the word. But this time in John chapter 12, and we see Martha, what is she doing? She's serving again. They're back in Martha's house, and she's serving. But here's what you don't hear from Martha. Jesus Tell these people, get, tell him to get up for heaven's sakes. He can help. 
He's not incompetent. He can help. And here she is again. Mary, my sister, why is she not helping? Here she is again doing what she did before. You don't hear that out of Martha this time. Martha has this joy of serving and just giving her time and her resources and what God has given to her to just serve the Lord without a critical spirit and without judging someone else's servanthood and what they are or what they're not doing. And I want to encourage you in this. Of when it comes to aspects of serving, we all serve at different capacities and different, have different time availability and different physical capabilities. It's easy if you're someone who is very uh, gifted to be a servant in ministry of helps and you see needs and so you want to constantly lift the burdens of people. Be careful here because sometimes it'll start creeping in. We get critical of others that how come they can't see the problem? How come they don't choose to help? And then we get frustrated. Lord, you need to tell them to serve. <laughs> tell them to get off their duff and do something. And we get frustrated. But here's what you see with Martha as she has matured, not a critical spirit, no longer telling Jesus what to do. Well, maybe in this new year, there's a way that maybe God has for you to serve. You can imagine as we come together every week in a congregational setting, there's stuff to set up and to tear down. While we're in portable church, we have to set it all up and tear it all down every time. There's aspects of hospitality we want to do with excellence. When people walk in the door, I don't know about you, but I'm here every week, but I still love to be greeted and I want to greet others and I, I, I want to have fellowship and relationships with people. But it's important we do that and do it with excellence. There's an aspect of taking care of our, our children and man, we understand that hats off to you parents today. If you brought your little ones here, by the way, I knew this was going to be tough because we didn't have children's ministry today and man, they're sitting here quiet. Way to go, team. But normally, we like to provide children's ministry, as you all know, so that the children are being taught the Word of God on their level, and parents can sit and hear the Word of God, and maybe it's somebody that doesn't know the Word yet, doesn't know Jesus yet, and we're facilitating a way for them to hear Jesus, hear, hear the Word and be saved. Children's ministry is critical. And I think about our worship team who's faithful every week, and maybe you've got skills in that area that you can be a part of that team, and so many support ministries. I think about the literal hundreds and hundreds of meals that were delivered, prepared and delivered this last year. Prayer support, visitation support, all kinds of projects that were done in order to come alongside and help people who just needed help. Those are support ministries and we have a myriad of those things that happen. Are you engaged in them? And if not, man, make this year the year that I'm going to engage and it may be in an outreach. Or there's an area to serve where we lift the burdens of one another and lift the burdens in our community. This was the Martha life. So as we look at our Christian life going forward with bold faith, I want to be like a Lazarus. Man, I want to be in that fellowship with Jesus. Whether it's in my private devotion or in a community. I want to be like a Martha and be a servant and helping to lift the burdens of others, and helping to facilitate hospitality to where people... You basically, you're, you're creating a welcome map for people to know Jesus. You know, you want them to experience Jesus. Now, the third person we want to see today is Mary. Her focus was on worship. Giving all that she has for all that He is. That's a good term for worship. What Mary did was opened up a spikenard bottle, and spikenard is a fragrant oil 
derived from a plant that comes out of India. So she has in her possession, and how she got it, I don't know. How long she's had it, I have no idea. But I know this much. What's in that vial is extraordinarily expensive, and it was an imported item into the area that she was in, and so it would have been very precious to her. And Mary now opens this spikenard fragrance and pours it out on the feet of Jesus. And she anoints his, his head, his body, she anoints his feet. And what's the purpose of the anointing? She's anointing him for the burial that's about to come. But the point behind Mary is her worship was giving all that she has for all that she is, all that she has, all that she has for all that he is, with a desire here of just wanting to extravagantly love the Lord. This could be everything from our resources of our, of our times, talents, and treasures, but well, I just want to love God with it. It's an aspect of our bold faith to give this way, time, talents, and treasures. I want you to notice, though, in this story that when she spilled this out, the entire room filled with this fragrance so everyone could smell it. It wasn't a show-off gift, not at all. This was, her focus was on the Lord Jesus Christ and I want to love Him extravagantly with the very best thing. What do I have? What do I have here that would express my love and gratitude for the Lord Himself and the most expensive thing she had was her spikenard and she gave that to Him and Jesus described it as anointing Him for His burial. But I want you to notice when that fragrance filled the room, her gift impacted everybody. Because that's the way it is with spiritual gifts. And when we give things extravagantly unto the Lord, it has an impact that's far-reaching beyond what you would ever imagine. Everyone could smell that smell in Jesus. That's, that oil is so powerful and fragrant. My suspicion would be, is that carried along all the way through the Passion Week? Wherever Jesus went, you're going to smell the offering of Mary that was all over Him. She openly identified with Jesus, unashamed, taking what she has and wiping his feet with her hair, bowing down before him, anointing him with this incredible fragrance. In John chapter 12, there's one more person that I want to introduce to you today as well. And then one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? And this he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and he had the money box and he used to take what was put in it. So here's your fourth person, is Judas Iscariot, mentioned by name in this text. I mention him because he's obviously in this and it's an important part of this story. But it's also a warning to all of us as we all are pursuing the Lord. We're here early on a New Year's Day, Sunday morning, and man, I'm so glad for that. And we're all in pursuit of fellowship and pursuing to be like a Mary. We want to be like Lazarus. We want to be like Martha. But here's the warning. There's a pursuit of the devil always trying to take Christ followers and steer them away from this aspect of fellowship, the aspect of worship, and the aspect of serving. And his objective is, is to turn against and, to, and lead you to the place of isolation. 
It's like, a, it's like the, the devil is described as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Well, the, obviously in the animal kingdom, isolation is the pathway to death. When you are alone, you're toast. Well, the devil does the same thing. He likes to manipulate people to the place of isolation. So here's how you observe this with a, a Judas Iscariot. He's always around this disciple group, but he's never really in the fellowship with it. He's hearing the word, he's just not connecting to the word. And so you see him go into isolation. Where, where is he when the community group is meeting? Well, he's not in a community group. Where is he when the study and the teaching is happening? Well, he missed out on a lot of those. Where was he when the outreaches were happening? Well, he, sometimes he's operating in the background, but generally he's just not there. So you have to be careful here in our Christian lives that we get busy, our time is precious, we prioritize things in a variety of ways, and everyone's got their way to do that. But be careful here. That's why we refocus. New year, new day, let's go. Focusing on, I want to be like Lazarus in my fellowship. I want to be like Martha in my serving, and I want to be like Mary in my worship. I don't want to be like Judas Iscariot. Because here's what happens to old Judas. He operates in the fringe, never really connected, and then now he becomes critical, highly opinionated, He's the apparent expert, and you hear what he has to say. Well, the money should have been given to blank, and he's got an idea of how all of this should work, but he's not connected to it. Satan's objectives towards a Christ follower, he can never possess you. He lost you. When you, the day you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you were born into a new family, a spiritual new family. So that transaction is signed, sealed, and delivered. But Satan does not quit agitating Christ followers. He wants to rob Jesus of the glory that Jesus rightfully should receive from our lives. And so Paul writes this warning to us in Ephesians chapter 6 when he said, Guys, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but it's against principalities and powers, against the rulers of darkness in this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. That's where this opposition is coming from, and it's constantly trying to move you against and isolate you away. First, isolate away from the Word. If you'll watch what Satan did with the very first human beings on this planet, raise question about the Scripture, about the truth of God's Word, to try to move mankind away from the Word, because this is your power. He wanted to move... He wants to move people away from the aspect of community because mankind was designed to live in community. We grow together. We learn together. We support together. And when you get isolated away, now you're going to get in big trouble. And here's where Judas came into play on this thing. Is we don't want to be a Judas. So make a commitment today in your heart once again. I want to be a Lazarus in fellowship. I want to be like Martha in serving. I want to be like Mary in my worship. I don't want to be the Judas. And Jesus corrected old Judas, and he said, let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you'll always have, but me you will not always have. And there was something precious that happened right here in this moment of worship. It all focused on the only thing that mattered was Jesus. Yeah, you'll always have this happening over here. Opportunities will always come, but right now the focal point is on the Lord himself and if this morning we would focus ourselves on the Lord Jesus Christ in the manner of our fellowship with Him, in the manner of our serving of Him, and in the manner of our worship of Him, 
it will, you'll find, is this really just talking about all of our doing, task-oriented? No. Because what it you'll discover, if you'll drill down in the heart of this, the focus is on your being. Who are you in Christ Jesus? And out of your being will come the doing. If you focus on the doing, you'll get out of whack on this thing, and then you'll get frustrated and critical and cynical like we've seen in the text today. But if you focus on the being, who am I in the Lord Jesus Christ, and who is He? And that's the focus. Then out of that will come the doing. So here you are. There's four key players today. Lazarus in fellowship, Martha in serving, Mary in worship, and Judas in self. Let's focus today. Let's calibrate our hearts today before the Lord. That I, Lord, man, you've given us a picture here to see of three individuals that literally personify the Christian life. I want to be like all of them. And let's take that home. Let's pray. Bow your heads with me, please. Just in the stillness of this moment, I want to ask you to consider carefully as you think about these individuals we've studied today, is there something that God has provoked your heart about? Maybe an area to focus. Things that maybe this year want to do different than last. God may have reminded you of something today. Is there something that needs to get cleansed out of the closet of your heart? It's a good day to do that. If today you come into this place and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're not sure if you're saved, you're not sure if you're a Christian, so if this is the last day on this planet, what's next? Where are you going? Will you go be with the Lord in heaven because of by faith you trust Him for your salvation? Or will you go into outer darkness and be cast away because you rejected Jesus Christ? Today is the day in your life you can by faith trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, believing that God... Himself, Jesus Christ the Lord, died to pay your sin debt and rose from the grave alive. He is the Lord. Is He your Lord? Have you asked Him today to be your Lord?